you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to On She Goes, the podcast. This is Sarita. Uh, I'm here with Becca hey. and Rebecca. Hi. R&R. Um, R&B, R&R, whichever you'd <laughs> R&B, like to, ooh. However you'd like to phrase it. And today we're going to be talking about immigration, deportation, detainment, things like that. Uh, a while ago, we did a women's conference called Muse Conference. And in that conference, we talked about the different things that travel could possibly mean for women of color, and especially nowadays. And what we're seeing lately is uh, with our political climate, travel bans, um, again, with deportation, um, immigration issues, families being separated and detainment and so on at the border. And also it affects the way that women of color move around in the space in the country that they live in, whether they've been here since birth or, you know, they've just gotten here recently. And so we're going to talk to Lisa Davis. Uh, she's an attorney um, at Public Council in the Children's Rights Project. And she also went down to the border recently. She raised some money, went down to the border to help uh, some families. And so we're going to get some clarity on what all this means. I feel like I know what's going on, but I don't really know what's going on. And I hate to say, like, because it doesn't directly involve me, and I, I, I super, super hate to say that, but it, it, there is a part of that there where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed about this thing, that thing, this thing, and that thing that's happening in the world. But, you know, even for, like, mental health purposes and stuff, it's hard to do a deep dive into what's going on. But I do think it's super important. And also, I would say that the way the media portrays it, especially in Trump's America, purposely skew the way we view immigrants, the way we view people of color Mm -hmm. that aren't from here and... Also, just the policies themselves are just super duper complex and confusing. Right. I also do think that there is there's been just an escalation of sensational news stories over the past what mm-hmm. year and a half, two years. Right. Um, that I'm not even sure what to believe anymore. Um, and it it does become difficult and like disheartening to try to figure out where to start to even think about how you can help. Um, just because there is so much misinformation and like I feel as though if it's not this thing with, to your point, like, you know, um, making immigrants seem less than uh, citizens. Mm-hmm. If it's not one thing, then it's another. And there's a different policy that's being put into place. There's a different civil liberty that is at stake um, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, um, It's hard to keep up. It is hard to keep up. And it, it does feel like everything is just keeps getting like worse and right. worse and worse. I'm like, oh, no. I was watching American Story Apocalypse and I was like, well, I guess it's only a matter of time. <laughs> like, I'm like, was it good? Just, it was good. Okay. It was really good. Shout out to American it. Story, Horror <laughs> Story Apocalypse. Um, and Gabby, who's on it. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I feel like uh, that that is the case. And it, it, it does make me super sad because I... 
you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is because I was like, we do need to figure out how to help. And we do need to yeah. see how we can inspire other people to help because people don't know. You know what I mean? You kind of look and you're like, I'm all the way over here. What can I do? And then you're also scared to give your money to certain charities. Like, right. mm-hmm. you don't know who's real. And to be really honest with you, I didn't grow up around a ton of, like, immigrant families. I had, like, a handful of friends whose family members came from other countries, but I didn't—I never recognized it as immigration. And you want to know why, though? Because I think that immigration is only marketed as, like, certain countries are immigrants. It is. It is purposely, specifically marketed— that way and it's also like the use of the words like alien and things like that are yeah. meant yeah. to make you like make them feel less it's like, very like, Eurocentric illegal it alien is. Uh-huh. what it is right that's like team too much yeah illegal alien yeah. like come on when I was listening to another podcast I was talking about like the way certain words have been marketed to us to be like really you know negative connotation like the way bush used to say iran you know and things like that like iran it's just it's just the way that very subtle you know microaggressions towards you know immigrants in this country that makes them feel like they do not belong here despite being a country founded by immigrants a bunch of people from europe came over those are immigrants and then you know started (laughs) a country like we're all founded by immigrants so it's insane the way we make people feel less than when there is technical legal paths to citizenship and even those are marketed in the United States as criminal. Yeah, I was going to say, there's totally ways that you can legally become a citizen of the United States. So why is it that it's like such a harsh thing? Because it's like, almost like this is a gift, you know? You should feel lucky that you became an American citizen, you illegal alien. Like, that is the way it is viewed towards, I feel like, lots of people of color, immigrants Mm -hmm. specifically. And I actually learned yesterday, I had no idea that... um, in reality, a lot of ways when you cross the border, it's not a criminal offense, it's a civil offense, but the way it is, if you like cross illegally, but the way it is marketed towards us that it is criminal. So there's oh, a so lot- Oh, so it's not even- It's not like a criminal, like federal, like offense. Like it's like, there's only certain um, like specific instances when you cross the border illegally that it is a criminal level offense. Like mm-hmm. if you've been deported and you're coming back, or I think if you are like trafficking drugs or, you know, and you are illegal, like things of that nature are criminal offense. But a lot of times when you're crossing, it's not no, criminal uh, at all. And the way it's been marketed. Crazy. I didn't know that, that. Yeah. My friend is from uh, Border Town in Texas, and she was telling me about how like all the Mexican women would come up to go to the outlet malls over mm-hmm. the weekend. So they built like all these outlet malls on the outskirts of Texas, like the Tex-Mex mm-hmm. border. Um, just to make it easier because the exchange rate was pretty favorable for them at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just very isolated incidents. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. I feel like Americans are so quick to cross the border into Mexico to go enjoy themselves and things oh, like yeah. that. But Spring break. Yeah, like all of that stuff. Did you ever hear about the time when um, there, was a, there was a spring break trip, I guess, that um, there was like a majority white, I'm going to say it was probably all white, um, boat there was like a boat and they were in like cancun do you know what i'm talking about they were in like cancun or something and they were shouting build a wall yes this and was last year boat. yes uh-huh. and it's like but you're th- what you i don't were under- actually in mexico right <laughs> really? like, what kind of sense does that make you make no sense right which side of the wall would you be on <laughs> right <laughs> like where <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. But that just goes to show you, like, the, the unsurmountable ignorance. And then also on top of that, just, like, just complete selfishness and, like, complete, like, like just not knowing what's going on, not being aware, not wanting to know, right. you know what I mean? And it's like, the important thing is honestly wanting to know and the important thing is figuring out how we can help. I learned a lot in the span of a couple days. <laughs> I've met a friend who works at the ACLU nice. um, here in Portland and I was kind of like, can you school me on this? Cause we're gonna talk about this and I feel very embarrassed as um, a Latin American who, you know, willingly, has turned a blind eye in a sense because it's been so hard for me mm-hmm. in terms of my mental health, not because I don't care because I care too much. And that's been the flip side because it is just so, I'm an empath, like mm-hmm. watching anything, like I will cry. So Same. just like I remember the first time I heard the clip they released, like NPR released on the children at the border being yelled at by ICE officers, mm-hmm. you know, that were being oh ripped my God, from yeah, their children. I saw that. And <sighs> I literally was driving, parked my car, immediately started bawling because it just hurt. It hurt so much to hear children who are so innocent, who are so scared, who don't speak the language, and no one around them is willing to have any sort of empathy for them yeah and because you know at the end of the day I think people forget because it's just so easy to you know put your hate in other places that these are people like at the end of the day these are like you and me and all around you like if this were a white child you wouldn't think twice you know but the fact that these are brown children Mm -hmm. it is okay for some godforsaken reason so i just i haven't been up to date because it hurt it hurt too much i right. cried if these too were much like ukrainian children mm-hmm. this yeah. would not be happening if right. this was like russia like it's not it would not be happening and i think it was so hard for me because i was like that's me like i know i mm-hmm. like i i know what it's like to be a little brown kid mm-hmm. with their mom like it's just uh it was too hard and i've been too willfully ignorant and so this guy i i met recently and he works at the ACU. I, I asked him to, you know, school me a little bit and I learned a lot and I'm really thankful. Shout Good. out to Rico. That was really Rico. helpful. Yeah. I also think like the implications of this are just going to be so much farther reaching than we think because I've been reading a lot of articles about like some of the children have been reunited with their families. Right. But they don't even recognize them as family members yes. anymore. Like there's like, they've been gone so deep long? psychological uh things that have happened to them where they just are like I don't know what happened and like what happened while they were in detainment but a lot of them thought that their families didn't love them and had given them up yeah, and forgotten about them because maybe that's what they were told or, or they just, weren't told anything right that's they what weren't told able anything to come up and, with their head right rational uh, like how to rationalize a situation pretty much yeah it's um it's awful. That's crazy. So sad to think about. Well, I saw the clips of like the judges talking to the little kids, and there's like literally like one year old sitting mm-hmm. there, and they're yes. like, "Do you know why you're here?" And I'm like, "At what point does a judge go? What the hell am I doing?" So <laughs> this like, is something oh, interesting that I did learn what is yesterday. This job. <laughs> um, so the thing with immigration lawyer or judges specifically, they fall under um, the Department of Justice, which is under the executive branch. So these are not judicial branch lawyers. So they have kind of, I would say, a different perspective on the way they like judge Mm -hmm. because they don't have as much autonomy of like 
non-biasy or whatever because yeah. they're all hired by Jeff Sessions. Oh, so they kind of, even of though course. as a judge, and they're all trained judges, yeah. you know, they technically are supposed, they, they have a little bit more leniency in the way they interpret the law and they're kind of given directives that are like, you know, this is kind of what we want to do here. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different type of judicial room yeah. when it's a immigration judge versus an actual, actual judge. judge. Okay. Are they more harsh? Mm-hmm. Oh. They're pretty much told to be very, very harsh because they want to give the American people the perspective that immigrants are naturally criminals. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they try them. They want to try them as criminals as much as they can. And it's very crazy. Um, they have lots of discretion on how to interpret the law in a way that judicial branch judges probably don't. I don't want my money going towards, like, swearing in a one-year-old. That just yeah. sounds so dumb. <laughs> right. So and waste so dumb. Like, yeah. These children barely have a grasp of any language. Yeah. Do you even know the alphabet at that point? Right. Like, no, you're, if you're one, you are on? literally just walking. Like, you just got into the walking game. Maybe. You might not be walking. It's a damn shame. Can you imagine, like, crawling up to the... Heck no. But, like, if you look at those clips, it's just so ridiculous. Like, I'm literally like, is he talking to this baby? Yeah, like, baby. like this? <laughs> Do you understand what you're doing here? The baby's like, it's a baby. Like, it's not... So, guys, we're here with Elisa Davis, attorney with the Public Council and the Children's Rights Project. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, I'm happy to be here. So uh, we were just having a little conversation about our general knowledge on what's going on with our country and at our borders. And uh, we were kind of expressing the same sentiment that I expressed to you, where we want to learn more. We want to know more. We want to figure out how we can help. But... You know, it just seems like as the months go by and the days go by and the years go by, the country's getting progressively worse and it's harder to it's getting harder and harder to focus in on these things that are happening because it's like I can't even like if I I can't watch TV without breaking down in tears and I feel helpless because you don't know what to do to help and all of these things. So I wanted to chat with you a little bit about what you do and what you feel like people can do to help and just to kind of explain to us a little bit. I um, almost kind of have you as a teacher, if, if you will. <laughs> so for starters, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got into it and, um, you know, what you've been doing lately. Yeah, so um, I am a staff attorney at Public Council. It is a nonprofit organization. Um, we're a law firm. Um, we have various different practice areas. Um, so we have an immigrants rights project actually, and we do impact litigation, different kinds of things like that. But I work specifically for the children's rights project. Um, and in the children's rights project, um, I am in a small team of young attorneys that represents, um, youth who are, um, either at risk on probation or in foster care. Um, and we help with a variety of things. So we do some immigration, we do guardianship cases, um, we do restraining orders, we expunge records, we seal juvenile records, we, we kind of do it all. So we're just, basically it's like a little one-stop shop for um, young people who 
our system involved. But, you know, I before I worked at public council for a few months, I worked at the Immigration Center for Women and Children, where I helped establish the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival Clinic. And so I did that for a few months um, when it was first uh, brought by Obama um, in 2012. And then I transitioned over to public council. I caught one of you because um, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, posted that you were um, raising money to go down to the border to help out some families and some children. And I would love to know more about that and how it went and when, you know, when exactly you went and all of those things. Yeah, so, um, you know, they've been detaining and separating families and um, children for a while now, but it got a lot of media attention recently because the Trump administration enacted the zero tolerance policy where they just blank started separating all the children and their mothers in the border at a rate no never seen before. Um, and it kind of just consumed me, you know? I mean, I already represent children. I represent children that are in foster care and in um, the juvenile justice system. And knowing that these children who have their parents and have no need to go into foster care um, were being torn from their parents after something as traumatic as traveling to the United States to, you know, seek asylum or run running away, most of them are running away from persecution of some sort. It just ate ate me up inside. And so what I decided to do was I just started emailing a lot of the organizations like public council, but they're, they, most of these organizations do only immigration um, and they're located in um, the border in South Texas. And eventually they got back to me and they, they assigned me a week where I could go to Dilly, Texas, which is in South Texas, and um, volunteer for a nonprofit called the Cara Pro Bono Project, which I think is now known as the Dilly Pro Bono Project. Um, and basically what they were doing was they'll host like um, 10 to 20 attorneys who want to come down and represent people who are in a family detention center in Dilly, Texas, which is actually the largest family detention center in the United States. Um, and it was opened up during the Obama era. So um, I signed up and then I just started to see who wanted to come with me. Um, and the people that stepped up were the women of color that are in my life. They didn't even think twice about it. You know, they didn't think about their job or their time off or their money or their kids. Well, I'm actually the only one with kids that went. But, you know, they, they didn't even think twice about setting everything down and going. You know, we didn't have the money to go. Um, so we said that we we're going to uh, create a GoFundMe page. And uh, in a week, we raised $10,000. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yay to that. Thank you. You know what? <laughs> Somebody got to do it. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously, thank you guys for, for doing that because that's, I mean, it's super important. And the, you all showed up for it, and like you said, without hesitation, and that's phenomenal. Um, I do yeah. have a couple of questions for you. So, for my own personal, I want to get a complete understanding of what exactly is happening at our borders. What exactly is going on? Uh, what are the like um, atrocities that are kind of happening? And like, how long has it been going on? And like, just I want to get a little bit more information on that. You know, I don't know for sure how long it's going going on. I don't think anyone really does. Um, I know that 
before it would happen to certain people and there wasn't it's kind of all based on um you know border patrol and immigration's discretion and so um there are certain people that would be separated from their families and uh, criminally prosecuted but for a long time um, really what happens is when you cross the border you are detained and then placed in deportation proceedings but you're not treated like you're not you're not charged with criminal trespassing which is basically what they started to do so in the no zero policy what happened when that started was rather than detaining these people and just letting them go through the immigration system they were treating them like criminals and incarcerating them and because they started incarcerating them they um be and because they can't incarcerate young innocent children their policy was we're going to incarcerate all the adults and then we're going to take all the children and basically put them in foster care. You know, usually they would just be detained together um, and most of the time they would be released and then they'd have to appear in court and then, you know, a large majority of them would eventually be deported. Um, and some of them who were able to fight an immigration case would um you know, try to get some sort of status in immigration court, but, you know, that's pretty rare. You know, I mean, I think one of the worst parts about all of that is that now it's known that they were specifically targeting people with children, um, that people that were crossing the borders on their own, just as adults, weren't being criminally prosecuted in the same way that um, people with children were. And so, you know, it's no, it's like they, they purposefully tried to target families and do these things um, to families because they wanted to send out a message. And it's just crazy. That's disgusting. The, yeah. Yeah. That is so disgusting. Crazy. I mean, I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you all of the things that I saw when I was in Delhi that week. It, it's insane because the children, the level of trauma and the the things that they suffered through when, you know, it, when you're separated from your parents here in the United States and you're entered into the foster care system, all the trauma that comes with that is like nothing else. You know, you could, it, it's just beyond. I mean, being torn apart from your family and not knowing when you're going to see them again. And, you know, the foster care system here in the United States is just crazy. But to do that to just like the smallest children after having gone through so much is really, really bad. That's so um, crazy. I, I can't even begin to like that's the kind like I literally started to tear up because I'm like, that's that's such a horrible. That's like a, a elevated level of evil. I can't even imagine. Mm. Yeah, like your chart, which, which specifically, and like, were there ever any like single mothers and stuff like that coming across with their kids and stuff like that, or like women that were coming by themselves? Absolutely. I think, I mean, I would probably venture to say that a large number of them, if not the majority of them, were single parents. So either women or men, you know, and they were crossing the border, a lot of them, because they're uh, running away from persecution in the country that they live in. Um, and so they've already dealt with a lot of things. And then they come here only to be separated by the government and treated like animals. Is that something that is only happening here, on, like with our borders, with like Mexico and other Latin countries? Or is it also something that's happening like when people are coming from other countries as far as like, I mean, obviously there's a little bit less there because they're not physically crossing a border. There's like like flying in, you know, or is this literally just from 
Latin countries. So it's my understanding that it was happening at our southern border. Um, the thing, though, is that there are people from other countries that cross, cross into the United States from other that are not nationals of Latin America. Okay. Um, so like at the detention center, we had people from Congo. Um, there are people coming from Africa. There are some people coming from Asian countries who had um, fled their countries, had gone down to Latin America, and then were trying to cross into the United States from Latin America. Okay, I see. So it does affect all races. It looks like it's the majority um, Hispanics, and it does the majority Latino and Latina people because it's happening at the border. Right, okay. In the South. Man, and that's crazy because that's something I would have had no idea about, like the fact that it would be people coming from other countries, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. besides just that area, because that's something that's never put out there. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't you don't see that. Right. You know? Right. I, that's crazy. I wanted to ask you, um, well, first, do you guys have any other questions? Uh, I, I guess my one question, to correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, is that a lot of people that are coming, like it is not illegal to seek asylum in our country, but no. it is perceived that way or that these people that are coming over and how you said majority of them are asylum seekers. They're coming from bad background. You're allowed to apply for, mm -hmm. you know, immigration status through, you know, seeking asylum, yet they were being detained on a criminal offense, which is like yeah. super technically human right violation and illegal. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that being acknowledged as illegal? Like, is somebody saying, like, this was wrong, we need to try somebody over this? Or, like, I mean, obviously, I guess Trump would be the person. Right. Or you mentioned Jeff Sessions at one point, I think. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've definitely been sued a lot right now um, by diff various organizations, including Public Council, the ACLU, um, and, um, you know, all of the immigration um, organizations all around the country for exactly what you just said, you know, the, um, violations of human rights laws, violations of international law, violations of immigration law, um, just, I mean, all kinds of violations. So yeah, uh, a lot of the things that they're, that they're doing is illegal. Um, and there are people trying to hold them accountable, but it's kind of hard to hold immigration and the American government accountable for everything that they do because they do illegal things all day long. <laughs> right. It's like, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what exactly is the DREAM Act? I was hearing a lot. Becca was telling me about DREAMers. Yeah. So from my understanding, I would love to learn more because I only got like a quick bout about it like I did not realize that the dream act and DACA were different and I didn't realize that either yeah so and that's so nice. I would love to hear more about what this difference is because I learned yesterday that DACA was an executive order where the dream act has been a bill that's been submitted multiple times and hasn't been passed so Obama had submitted DACA as like a band-aid to the dream mm -hmm. act but oh. like it didn't really it's not it doesn't have the same um legal uh, standing? standing safety like it can be pulled away as fast as it was submitted oh. so it doesn't have the same power as like a bill like the dream act so Lisa, right. i'd love to hear more about the dream act specifically versus daca well there are two big differences right one is that like you said the dream act hasn't been passed and so it's non-existent it doesn't provide any kind of remedy to um any immigrants in the country because it just 
it's been something that's been proposed, but it's not actual law. Oh. Um, whereas deferred action for childhood arrival, which is what DACA is, um, has been implemented since 2012 and has provided some relief, but it doesn't provide any actual legal status to the people that apply to it. The DREAM Act, though I think, you know, the dream <laughs> um, is that that Congress passes um, some sort of bill like the DREAM Act that actually provides legal status or a way for people here that are undocumented to get legal status, um, which, you know, would be either some sort of visa or um, permanent legal residence, some sort of kind of avenue for them to eventually get U.S. citizenship and be able to live, live here, live here in the United States with legal status. Um, DACA doesn't do any of that right now. All that DACA does is it's um, deferred action. So that means that it's a promise by the government that while you're on DACA, you're not going to get deported. Um, you know, they've broken that promise um, recently. And so it's not even something that you know, is a for sure thing. And then, like you just said, it's also uh, an executive order. And so it can be rescinded at any time. And, you know, Trump has definitely talked about rescinded it before. Um, I think that he hasn't yet because of all the pressure that he's getting, but it can certainly happen at any time. Um, and then that promise of not deporting all of these hundreds of thousands of young people who have been here their entire lives and know no other country they could all just be deported. So here's my question then. Let's say, so if my parents came here and I've been living here and was, you know, was not necessarily born here, but I've been living here all of my life and my 30 something years and my parents were still living here and they were not legal U.S. citizens. Could my parents get deported? I mean, is there like a statute of time? Is there like a limitations? Could I get deported? Like all, like I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. Absolutely. Anyone who is here who doesn't have is not a legal permanent resident um, or a U.S. citizen. I mean, even legal permanent residents could be could get their green cards taken away and then deported. Uh, but anyone that doesn't have legal status here can be deported 100%. And it doesn't matter how long you've lived here. And that's one of the big problems, right? That's the big problem with our immigration laws and policies is that there are people that are here that have been working here and living here their entire lives and there is absolutely no way for them to legalize because there are no avenues there's no remedy there are certain special kind of immigration immigration applications that people can apply to but they are very specific eligibility requirements and it requires that they're you know, a victim of law, a victim of a violent crime here in the United States or a victim of domestic violence at the hands of a um, United States citizen or that you're a juvenile in the juvenile justice system and you've been abandoned by your parents. You know, it's very, very kind of like narrowly, very narrow kind of specific eligibility requirements. And if you don't fit into one of those tiny little boxes, then you literally have zero option. And it doesn't matter if you've lived here, you're 30 something years and you're a doctor and you know, you've been paying taxes and you receive zero help from the government and you're a good citizen, you still to be deported. Wow, that's crazy. Man, yeah. our government is trash. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and isn't it true that uh, DACA holders are like some of the like, 
you are some of the best people in the country because you have to have a job. You can't have a criminal record. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to be, like, an upstanding moral citizen. And you can still, they're still, like, willing to deport you. Absolutely. And you don't, you know, I mean, people that are here with no legal status, they live in the shadows. And so a majority of them have to stay out of trouble because it puts them at jeopardy of deportation. They um, have to have work because they're not eligible for welfare. You know, until very recently, even children weren't eligible for Medi-Cal or any sort of help in the Medicare system. And you still pay your taxes. You still have an IT number. Um, you don't get any retirement. You're not eligible for Social Security, even though it's taken out of your paycheck. All kinds of things. It's just crazy. That is insane. I actually have a, a friend who's going through that now. She didn't realize because her family had moved here from Mexico. Um, and then her and her siblings were born here. She didn't realize until I think she went to apply for like a marriage license that she was born in Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. And so her family moved back to Mexico. And now like she can't go back because she won't be able to enter back into the U.S. So she's kind of like in a limbo, but she can't see her family who's in Mexico. They can't come back and she can't go see them. Yeah. It's crazy. That's horrible. And that's the issue with a lot of the, you know, citizens under DACA. It's just like they have no idea. Like, it's like their parents did not tell them that they are not American citizens. Mm -hmm. And then they find out the hard way. And it's like, well, how the hell am I supposed to move to a country? Not that she doesn't know anything about Mexico, Mm -hmm. but there are some Mm -hmm. people that it's like I've never visited that country. I don't speak the language. I don't know. For all intent and purposes, I'm an American. Yeah. And it's not that I don't love where I come from, but... I cannot assimilate to that culture as well because I'm 20 years old and I don't speak Spanish or whatever. It's just... My question for, like, your friend, Rebecca, like, when when she's just talking about her friend, in that situation, how does that affect her travel just in general? Like, let's say she wants to get married Mm -hmm. somewhere else, like France or whatever, or she has to travel for work. Like, passport-wise, how does that affect her? Like, all of those things. Unless you're a legal permanent resident or a U.S. citizen, you can't travel. Yeah. You don't have a passport. Wow, so she can't, like... She can't move. She can't do anything. No. What? No, because then she can't come back in. Right. So even if she has, like, let's say if she were to get a Mexican passport and she'd go back to Mexico to visit her family, she doesn't have a U.S. passport or any permission to come back in if she wanted to. Oh, my God. So so is her husband a U.S. citizen? Is she going to be able to get married? Well, now it's going to look suspicious. So she can't really. God bless. Oh, man, this is not, this is like, yeah, there's a, well, so this brings me to my next question because we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. But like, what can we do to help? Like the average person, I feel like maybe doesn't know completely what we can do to really help this situation. What can we do to, to make this better in some way? Um, I mean, as far as donating, it, there, you know, not everybody has the means to donate money. But if you can, there are reputable places that you can donate, um, like the American Immigration Lawyers Association, who um, then tunnels a lot of their money into the nonprofits that, you know, are on the ground helping immigrants all across the country. Um, You could also donate to the nonprofit legal organizations that are in your area. Um, You know, there's ACLU all across the country, Public Council, Betzetic, Immigration Center for Women and Children. Here in L.A., we have Carecen and, um, you know, all all kinds of nonprofit legal organizations that represent um, 
immigrants and they don't charge any money for it. So, you know, if, if you do have money to donate, you know, those are definitely the safest places to donate, I'd say. You know, but aside from that, I think just trying to be as active as possible in your community. So, um, you know, going out to vote is a huge one, uh, making sure that you register and that you vote and that you're informed of, you know, who the options are and who are your elected officials and, you know, who's coming up for re-election and looking into your the judges that are running in your area. I think all of those things, just being an active citizen is really important. And then, you know, there are places where you can volunteer your time. The CAR Pro Bono Project, which is now the Dili Pro Bono Project, they take non-attorney volunteers all the time. And there's actually, there's, um, it's called Lawyers for Good Governance. They recently created a website where they consolidated all of the different areas where you can go in and volunteer. And, you know, if you don't know Spanish and you can't be an interpreter, you can do things like data entry, scanning, um, making phone calls, um, kind of try and see if you can find um, some volunteer opportunities for yourself would be that website lawyersforgoodgovernment.org. Okay. Thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate it. I mean, I feel like I've learned so much. I'm yeah, super too. inspired to actually do something. <laughs> I'm I'm also like hella drove and mad about <laughs> everything that's happening. But like, I feel this is a good mad because yeah. I feel like I need to be this outraged to, to really like be active about this. And is there anything that we can do to help public counsel at all? Like with what you guys are doing? Well, Public Council is a nonprofit um, law firm, so the thing that we need the most is um, monetary donations. Um, so our website is publiccouncil.org. Um, you know, we represent all kinds of people, not just um, people in um, the immigration system, but, you know, you can donate and you can donate specifically to a specific project or you can donate to all of public council in general. Okay. And I'm going to put all of this in the uh, podcast page so people can know where to donate and everything else. And if you're doing anything else or going back down or helping out anywhere, please let us know. We will 100% support you and we'll definitely get the word out for you for sure. Thank you. Thank you. We actually, so we donated 8000 of the $10,000 that we've um, raised to the CARA Pro Bono Project. So most of the money went to them and then the other money we just used for our hotel and our travel, which was, you know, really the only money that we thought we were going to be able to raise. But we raised so much more that we were able to write them an $8,000 check, which was amazing. Yeah, that's, that's good. It's like we know that people have their hearts in the right place. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been so helpful. Yeah, I, I learned course. so Thank much. You. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Bye. 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 Wow, that was crazy. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. It was an awesome. This was this was super great experience to kind of learn as much as we did. I feel very thankful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel educated. I feel like now I can go tell other people what I learned. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And have an informed point of view. Yeah. I don't right. feel so dumb. Right. Now, every time yes. I feel confronted, I can be angry with, 
conviction versus just angry with no facts. Yeah. So. All right, guys. We'll tune in and uh, donate. Donate. Vote. <laughs> vote. If anything, that's donate, the biggest vote. thing. Yeah. I think that should be the biggest takeaway. Go vote. Go register. That's true. We kind of like only focus on the federal level. But honestly, you can make so much more change on the local level. So go vote. Whoa!